So welcome to Christmas at Life Center. Um, we have it all but the snow, all right? Everything but snow. But I hear it's supposed to come maybe next week sometime. Yeah. Boo. Oh, listen to the booze. Wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> I don't know who is booing, so just don't take that personally because I don't, I don't know who that was. I just heard, heard it, a, a chorus of boos through there. <laughs> but uh, we had enough wind, though, didn't we, last night to blow in uh, some, some newness, but uh, it almost took all of our trees away up front there yesterday. Uh, and I was just thinking when I saw that, it, many of the symbols of Christmas, though, they, they literally could just be just blown away, couldn't they? Because they don't really have anything to do with the season that we actually celebrate. There's a commercialization to Christmas that, that all the trappings of Christmas tend to maybe take our eyes off Jesus. But at the same time, uh, we can take this time to focus our eyes on why we celebrate. On uh, the things that aren't just sentimentality, which are nice. Traditions are nice. But we can see that there's something deeper for us in Christ. And so we allow Christ to move in our space today. For instance, the central symbol of Christmas is the manger, right? And it's a perfect picture for us to see uh, how the, in the gospel, how in the mess of life, things pile up, don't they? And it seems to crowd out things in our hands and our minds and our hearts. We're all full of things and we've got so much going on. It's hard to make time and yet, Christmas in the manger says there's, there's a need to make room for Jesus. And that there's a space for Jesus, even when it seems full. If we make room, something absolutely amazing can happen when we make room for God. And so this Christmas season, we want to look at uh, when we follow Jesus, when we make room for him, for who Jesus is, and what his presence brings, because his presence does bring presence. And so the gift that God uh, gives to us, that he, and when we think about it, God is, God, ha he had no need. He knew no need, but he would come in need. He knew no thirst, and yet he would come in need to be nursed. He was almighty. He was creator by his spoken word, and yet he would need to be taught how to say father and how to craft things with his hands. He came in the fullness of God and in the emptiness of humanity. And it is the gift of our salvation, our reconciling with our Father. And it's a beautiful thing. What a gift. Enough in its own right. But with Jesus, with that gift, Jesus comes with gifts that we hold dearly that are the outlets of his great love for us. And this week, we want to look at the gift, uh, one of the gifts that God gives us. And so today and each week in the season, we're going to unwrap another gift. I made it easy on myself to unwrap the gift, lift a lid off the box. And this week, the gift that we unwrap is this, the gift of peace. And it's peace over anxiety that he gives us. And today we live in times that are polarizing, 
They're isolating. And there's this vacuum of, of compassion in our society. There's no healing in our society because everybody is opposed and everybody has opinions and everybody has ideas of how things should be. Everywhere we turn, whether to the right or to the left, we're told that our world is corrupted. Our lives, they're fragile in both general ways and personal ways. We feel the anxiousness of it all. We feel the ever-tightening tension in our lives waiting for it to snap. Whether it be political or societal or corporate worlds, we see choices leading to destruction. And in our personal lives, we see that our actions or the actions of others around us squeeze the joy from life, leaving hope only a faint whisper, a vapor that seems to elude our grasp. But this, though, is nothing new. It may sound morbid to start off, but this has been the plight of humanity in a lost and broken world, a world where sin has corrupted it to the core, and death is the inevitability of it all. It was in this space of groaning for both humanity and the world that we hear the angelic host proclaim on a small Hebrew hill to lowly shepherds. He says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a hope-filled but intriguingly specific praise. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. What does that mean? Peace with only those who he is pleased with. You see, there's a need to make room for Jesus. There's a need for us to seek the goodwill of God to see his goodwill among men. There's a gift of unique peace in troubled times and hearts today. And this peace, though, is not like the peace between fighting countries or arguing enemies, neighbors, or fighting over a fence. They just look for an advantage in other ways and wait for another day to find their win. It's not a peace that is just the absence of war or conflict in our world, as amazing as that would be, because we heard Jesus say confusing, confusing things like this. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Sometimes we think we see peace and we want peace, and it's supposed to just reside over everything, and that there will be no anxiousness, no conflict, no trouble anywhere, and that the peace that God will bring is going to do that when we ask for it for ourselves. How can it be, though, that God can say he is the bringer of peace? He is the prince of peace. How can angels sing that? How can he say that he doesn't bring peace but brings a sword? And it's this. It's because the peace that he does offer, it passes all understanding. For its depths uh, or the depths of the human soul that we often neglect, that's how far it goes. It's a peace that settles the anxiousness of our lostness and it centers our identity in him. It's why he can also say to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. It is not a peace that anyone can offer. It's not a gift that fades. It's an everlasting peace filled with hope. But it's also filled with fear and the grip of both person. Sorry. It's filled with fear and the, and in the grip of both personal and generalized anxiety. Jesus comes. So let's look at this in real time in the life of somebody who is in trouble. Because early one morning, Jesus was sitting near the Mount of Olives and he's teaching. And he says this. It says this. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the, in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might find some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, um, from now on, sorry, sin no more. A woman has been caught in adultery. And according to that culture and in that time, by the law, she's in real trouble. The Pharisees are using two portions of the Old Testament law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that say this. In Leviticus 20.10, it says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And in Deuteronomy, it says, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. You shall purge the evil from Israel. She's been caught caught in adultery. She's in real physical trouble. She's been publicly shamed, dragged through the streets to be brought to Jesus. She's experiencing emotional distress. She's caught in a cycle of being used by others and not treating, being treated with dignity. And we can feel the real and tangible anxiety that she would feel. Anxiety, we know that we felt ourselves in our circumstances, even though they've been, they may be different. But as we see in the manger, amid stress, worry, and anxiety, Jesus gives room to move. And how does Jesus bring that John 14, or 27 peace to her in that moment where he says, peace I give to you? How does he give that to her? Everything that was being directed at that woman, Jesus absorbs. He takes it. Jesus shifts the focus and the moment from her to himself. Like it says in John 8, 6 to 7, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
and as they continued to ask him. And that moment of anxiety when we're not okay or even when what's happening to us isn't okay, a gift that Jesus brings into our lives is this, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. Now, to be sure, Jesus doesn't reduce, ignore, or excuse the law. He asks all present to feel its weight. He doesn't cause shame, but he expands guilt. And there's genuine conviction. We see as he says this, and they continued to ask him, and he stood up to the, and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, we shouldn't miss this. While Jesus is removing shame from her, the matter of guilt remains. Shame is a divisive attack of the enemy trying to separate you from the love of Christ. It wants you to doubt that you deserve or can be forgiven and have peace. Guilt, though, conviction, though, should call you closer for healing and forgiveness. The personalized and generalized anxiety is real, but so too is what Jesus is doing. John Piper says it this way. He says, so the most remarkable point of this story is that Jesus exalts himself above the law of Moses, changes its appointed punishment, and reestablishes righteousness on the foundation of grace. Grace becomes the overriding principle here in how we deal with others and how God deals with us. Jesus, in that moment, offers her, offers her peace. In our world today, much of the gotcha moments, those moments where people catch us in things or catch celebrities in things or politicians in things or, or people in things, it play out uh, identically to this moment as these, these uh, teachers of the law had caught this woman. We know that that's how our culture works today. We know others will treat us harshly and yet hypocritically if our guilt comes to light. If we're caught in something, people will look at us with the eye and just be, I can't believe they did that. While our hearts are full of sometimes the exact same sin. We know people will say that that's who we are and that we can't change, that the sins of our past are going to continue to visit us and that we're stuck in these ruts, and that's just who a person is, especially in a small town like this where everybody seems to know everybody and all their business. We can pigeonhole people into being a certain thing, and that's just the way they're going to be. And while this might be sadly true, there's a greater truth if we make room to receive it. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And what Jesus does for her is profound. But if the story ended there, it falls short of peace. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And from now on, Sin no more. Jesus doesn't say, neither do I condemn you, and so don't worry about the sin. I'm not standing here to judge you, so don't worry about it. Just go on with your life. 
He doesn't say that. Our world would ask for that. Our world would ask Jesus to do that very thing. If he would have, which many of us today would want, then he's only giving her worldly, ordinary, circumstantial peace, which says, in this moment, you're relieved of any pressures, any judgment, any problems, which falls short of his promised peace in John 14, 27. Jesus gives her a gift called grace, reconciliation and peace between her and God. And it is this reconciled peace which changes both her circumstance and her identity. Because then that moment she no longer has to be identified as the adulteress, but she can be identified as a daughter of the, of the king. Jesus addresses her, pres- her pressing issue by inviting her into deep and renewing growth. And to receive his peace, it must touch both the sinful action of us and our heart condition. And when we experience the grace of God, we don't follow Jesus because we fear being stoned. We follow because there is nowhere else on earth we can receive this peace. There's nowhere else on earth that in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our sinful ways, somebody can love us as Jesus does. And so we come to him because of what he can give us, the peace that he can give us. In that moment, for this woman, she's, she's experiencing Jesus saying, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world would give. We saw what they were about to give you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. He can also give you the same gift today. When you feel stuck in your guilt, in your trouble, your fear, your shame, or anxiety, however earnest our own efforts are, they fall short. When we get stuck and lost in our own brokenness, our anxiousness. I know for me personally, God was a a great source of peace for me when my family as a youth experienced relationships that fractured. And I know that God has given me peace as I've walked my battle with cancer. And I know that he can give you that same peace. In Luke 12, 25 to 26, it says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? We tend to worry and be anxious about things that are beyond our control when God asks us to rest in peace that he has it and us firmly in his hands. His gift of peace is not only to rescue us from circumstances and situations, but for us to sin no more so we are no longer living under the power of an accuser. Our mind has the mind of Christ. In Isaiah 26.3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you 
because he trusts in you. When we keep our minds stayed on Christ, we have a peace, a perfect peace, and we can trust him. Today, we pray that you would hear that good word, the good news that there is a gift of peace on earth for those that God favors. We pray that your heart is glad because, as Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Today, we can be glad because of the good news that Jesus has come that he is the Prince of Peace, we can say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, peace towards those whom God favors. Today, you've been given a communion cup as you came in. And if you don't have one now, if you just want to raise your hands and uh, one of our ushers maybe at the back will be able to um, come forward and bring you Uh, some if you're missing yours. But on a day like this where we talk about the peace that God brings and how he offers us uh, that peace today, we want to remember what he offers us today by taking part in communion, by remembering today the peace that he brings us by abiding in him and saying, God, I need that peace I want that peace. So today we invite you to partake in communion. The tradition set by Christ to participate in the gift of his grace, forgiveness, and peace. To take hold of and cling to the depth and breadth of God's transforming love for us. And what we have received from the Lord, we also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take part of the bread. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink. God, we thank you that you came. We thank you that in a lowly town, Bethlehem, in a stable and in a manger, Mary and Joseph made room for you to come. They made room for the Prince of Peace to come to earth to offer us that same peace, that reconciliation with you. And as we sit here today engaging in this practice of communion, we remember the peace that you've brought us, the reconciliation and grace that you've offered us. 
we remember it, and we long to be reunited with you again, knowing that you truly are the Prince of Peace, that when we have our identity firmly planted in you, all the worries of the world can grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. If you're here today and you've never received that gift of grace, that gift of forgiveness and reconciliation, you have only to ask God for it and to begin a journey of seeing Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your forgiver, your healer, to learn to walk in his ways, to experience the peace beyond all understanding. God, we thank you for that.